0: Well, good morning, Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad to be back with you this morning. I trust that you all slept well and you stayed warm. Um, I'm excited to open up God's Word with you again. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those to Second Peter. 2 Peter, we will finish our time in chapter 1 today and conclude this letter, Lord willing, if He brings us back tomorrow in chapters 2 and chapter 3. Uh, but this morning we'll be in Second Peter chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 9 and go through verse 15 in this first sermon. And then in the next sermon we'll finish up that chapter. I'm going to read verses 9 through 15. Brothers and sisters and friends, this is the word of the Lord for us today. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank You for the gift of another day. Um, Lord, thank You for keeping us while we slept. Thank You for waking us up this morning and putting breath in our lungs and blood in our veins. Father, we exalt You. We acknowledge Your sovereignty, Your majesty, Your power, Your wisdom, Your mercy, and Your grace. We know and believe that You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And You have been kind enough to give us a revelation in Your Word that teaches us more of You and how we relate to You in light of what we learn about You. And so, Father, I pray that through Your divine power that You would open our eyes this morning and encourage our hearts. And, Fathers, for the brothers and sisters that are in this room, God, that our confidence in You would deepen, that our assurance would be stronger than ever. And Lord, if there is one here who who doesn't know You in a personal way, Father, that You would be kind enough and in Your mercy um, to open their eyes and to give life to their dead heart as Your Word is preached and Your Spirit moves. So Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think you would agree that... We all, regardless of your age, we all need reminders. Am I the only one that forgets? I don't think I am. But the amount of things I forget is troubling. My wife was here last night. She's here again this morning. And in my ability, I'm going to say it in the positive. She would not say it in the positive. But, But my ability to forget things at the grocery store is elite it's elite and, and I can have a list I can have been reminded like like I get in there and it's almost like something just there's just a block like I don't know if it's distracted by other things a little impulse purchases or, or what it is and I, and I come out really proud of myself because of the things that I picked up that she didn't remember to remind me to get and then I get home and guys I think you've been there I feel like you've been there you get home, and you walk in, and you don't leave a bag. In the, you get all the bags, right? Nobody leaves a bag behind. We, we, we get all the bags, and we walk in, and we throw them on the counter, and we're so proud. And the first question that our wives ask is, well, did you get the butter? And then it hits you. like, Oh, I forgot the butter. And then it's, like, how did you forget the butter? That, that's the main reason you went. I don't only forget groceries. I, as a pastor, and I'm ashamed of this. I have forgotten meetings. Believe it or not, friends, I have forgotten that I was preaching. I mean, this was recent. I, I do some preaching at the juvenile detention center out eighty-two, and um, thankfully, Brother Terry Holman, who organizes that ministry, he called me at nine o'clock. I was set to be there. I didn't remember at at ten thirty. And he said, hey, I just, just something told me to just check in and say, hey, looking forward to seeing you. And I was like, I'm glad something told you. <laughs> something, The Lord, whatever your thoughts are on that, He called and thankfully, but, but we, we do forget. We forget, we have a tendency to forget. Brothers and sisters, you know this. We have a capacity. Like God doesn't. God is... is unlimited in His wisdom and in His knowledge. But we, as finite creatures, we do have a capacity. And it seems that Peter, in his final words to the people that he loved dearly, he, he sees the direction that they could go. Now, to be fair, at this point, they aren't off the deep end yet. But, as we read in verse 13, if they don't wake up and remember and remember whose they are, they don't wake up and remember the truths that they've been taught, they could prove, and this is an eternal danger, friends, and so this remembering is serious. This is much more serious than forgetting to preach. This is much more serious than forgetting the butter. This is much more serious than forgetting anything else. The eternal consequence of proving that your faith isn't genuine because you have forgotten what you've been taught in regards to what is true about you and true, most importantly, about who the Lord is, has eternal consequence. Like, it's serious. Any forgetting has consequence. But this consequence is dire. I kind of liken it to parents. Those of you that are parents, you'll understand this. Those of you that aren't yet and your kids... You'll understand more about why your parents are the way they are at this point in your life. When that child is going off to college, or if 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 that child just gets the driver's license, and you know, you know, parents, you know that that feeling of like we look at them, and in our hearts and minds, it almost feels like it's the last time. And we're saying, hey, don't forget who you are. Don't forget what you've been taught. Remember that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Like don't walk in. and it seems like the words like there just aren't enough words, but eventually we just have to let them go. It has a feel of that to me. In regards to Peter's words here, Th- these believers according to verse 12, they know these truths. He even doubles down. He says, "You know these things, but even more than that, you are established in them." And so they know these things. And the truths that they know, which when they are primary, lead to the qualities that we saw last night in the first verses of chapter 1. But when they are secondary, they lead to a lack of these qualities. And as Peter is very clear, resulting in a falling away. And so these believers are in danger of bending their knees to what is false. And so Peter, in his grace... He reminds them. So let's look and see what he wants them to remember. If you look down with me at verse nine, he says, "Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." The first part of verse nine. There are evidently some things among them, or some among them, who lack the qualities that were mentioned in verse six that we saw last night. Now, an important thing to note here is: is this is a willful rejection because they know the truth. They're established in the truth. They aren't ignorant to these qualities. They aren't ignorant to the truth. And so at this point in their life, this, this is something that is a willful rejection or neglect or forgetting of these truths. He also tells us in verse 9 the reason that they are neglecting these truths or they have the potential to he says it's because they are blind. And so if we fail to live out these qualities, we have become, according to Peter, so nearsighted that we are as good as blind. Now this nearsighted is interesting because it, the, the best way that I know to understand this based on what the original wording means and in the context of this and how these first century hearers would have heard it, this is a self-focus. And if you remember the context and the history, like these are believers who have been in exile. They have been through tremendous persecution. And, and so they are, they are as vulnerable maybe as they've ever been in their life. And on top of that, the culture around them is creeping in. And there are these false teachers that are coming in. There are these false teachers coming in and promising peace, promising comfort, and really challenging the things that they know and the truths that they're established in. And so this nearsightedness is a self-focused living. But according to Peter, when we're self-focused and nearsighted, we are blind. And so this would be a believer living as an unbeliever who really are spiritually blind. Peter's point seems to be that a Christian preoccupied with their circumstances in the short Term or or what they want out of the moment, or the desires of the flesh that they think they may be able to fulfill, they've lost the ability to see life from any kind of eternal perspective. So not only does He tell us that some had forgotten, He gives us the reason in verse 9, but also He lets us know that the reason that they they aren't living the right way is because they aren't thinking the right way. Look back down at the last part of verse 9. This is interesting. He says, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, this forgetting is different than me forgetting the butter. This is different than me forgetting that I had a preaching engagement. This is different than me forgetting that I had a counseling. This is not necessarily they're forgetting like it's out of their mind. These are truths they know. These are truths they've been established in. And so this forgetting is in the sense of what is primary and what is secondary. And so what Peter's reminding them is that you've forgotten these things, you're living in a nearsighted way as if you are spiritually blind, and certainly some of them potentially were actually spiritually blind. He says you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sin. So he's reminding them in the in the idea of what's primary and what's secondary is what is primary in your life is the gospel. So essentially, he could tie everything to this. You're thinking this way, you're living this way, because you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And His ascension, you've you've forgotten that you are cleansed from your former sins. Then in verse 10, He gives us sort of the nuts and bolts of this salvation and this cleansing. He says, therefore, and I'm sure you guys know this, the therefore is is pointing backwards. Therefore, because of verse 9, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, they are to confirm what God has done. If you were here last night, you saw that theme, a clear command for us to give effort, for us to be eager, but never separated from the reality that God has given us everything necessary for us to actually have effort and be eager. He's given us all we need to be all that He's called us to be and all that He's called us to do, And so now he says it another way, and I think he takes another step in, in their understanding in reminding them, he says, confirm through the qualities that were mentioned in the way that you live your life what God has done for you in salvation, specifically their election and their calling. Now that these two terms, I mean some churches that I may preach in, I, they wouldn't be as familiar with these terms as probably you guys are. But these two terms are theologically rich. They bring assurance. And if there's a chance that somebody's here in this place this morning that has never considered the doctrine of election, the, the, the teaching of election, or, or the teaching of the effectual, effective call of God, expect this, expect there to be, this would be normal, expect there to be resistance in your heart. Because what this teaches us about God is that, listen, is that He is actually God. (laughs) That He's the one that is sovereign over it all. And brothers and sisters and friends, it it has to be that way. Our flesh wants to resist this, but if God's not as big as these doctrines teach that He is, then He's not a God that can save us. And so... Before I get into these two things, I want to note this, that that this understanding of salvation wasn't up for debate. That God had called them effectually, that God had elected them before the foundation of the world were truths that they knew, truths that they were established in. He's not opening it up for Starbucks debating conversations among seminaries. Like, that's not what's happening here. These are understood and embraced to be completely true. So, what are they to confirm in this calling and election and why does this calling and election matter? First, let's deal with this this word called. There are two types of call in Scripture and they are both necessary. The first type of call in Scripture is what we would consider the general call of the gospel. Think of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus Christ Himself, the God-man, He says, Come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That this general call of the gospel and proclamation of the gospel and inviting those to respond to the gospel, friends, it's what we do. And we should do it without bias. We shouldn't do it based on somebody's skin color, certainly. We shouldn't do it based on somebody's socioeconomic status. We shouldn't do it based on what somebody or a profess- does or does not profess about any specific religion. We look into the eyes of those that we know are made in the image of God and that image has been broken because of sin and they are separated from God and the only way they come back to the Father is through Jesus. And so without bias, we look into the eyes of every man, woman, boy, and child that will sit there long enough and say, Come. Come to Christ. That's the general call of the gospel. But within that call, there's what is called the effectual call. And if you have your Bibles, it might help you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to have some more cross-references this morning than we did last night. Romans chapter 8, there's tremendous context and a lot leading up to this, but, but I think you'll see why we landed in verse 30. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. It's the Apostle Paul. He says, "In those whom He predestined, He also," what? "...called effectually." And, and then you might would go, well, How do you know it was effective? Well, because there's not a period there. There's a comma. And those whom He called, He also what? Justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And so you start with the predestining. And those that were predestined, those were called. And those that were called are justified. And those that are justified are glorified. As Brother Jacob said in that line from the hymn that we sang, the work is finished. It's totally finished. It's completed. And so this effectual call, this effectual call speaks to those that have been chosen by the Lord before the foundation of the world. And as Jesus says in John 6, 65, when the Jews still... Did not believe it was him. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All right, so we're clear. There's a general call of the gospel, that's our responsibility. But within that general call of the gospel, the Holy Spirit Himself works effectively to call those that He's chosen to Himself. And it's effective. Do you know what his batting average is? A thousand. A thousand. It's an effectual call. in First Corinthians, again, if you like turning pages, I encourage you to a few pages back to your left. In First Corinthians, chapter one, verses twenty-three and twenty-four, I, I, I think we can see this clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 23 and 24. Let me back up to 22 actually. He says for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. So two categories, Jews and Greeks. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. That would be the general call. So so the apostle Paul in these two categories, you have Jews and you have Greeks. You have Jews And you have Gentiles. He is proclaiming the gospel to all. Undiscriminate. It's a stumbling block to some. It's folly to the Gentiles. But listen to verse 24. But to those who are what? Called. That's not the general call. That's the effectual call. Within the general call, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, it's not a stumbling block. They don't walk away going that's folly. No. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so a fruit of the effectual call is you don't walk in away, you don't walk away thinking this is ridiculous. Who would believe it? You walk away with as much understanding as you can have in that moment of regeneration and new birth. As that heart is transformed and that dead spirit is resurrected and made alive in Christ. That this is the power of God. And this is the wisdom of God. Peter and Paul both, they both say that out from among those who hear the general call, there are those who are effectively, effectively called. When the gospel is preached, God calls some so powerfully that their hearts and minds are changed about Jesus. When we see it this way, when we see Christ this way, when we hear of Christ this way in the effectual call, it's irresistible when Jesus Christ is seen for who He is in His majesty, and His beauty, and His grace, it's irresistible. The call itself contains the power to produce what it commands. I, I don't know how many of you hunt, but I actually went duck hunting this morning. And we took our dog, and that's always a double-edged sword. But the general call would be more like me trying to call this dog back to me when he's swimming around in the water that we want ducks to light in. Come here, here, here. And he's just steady swimming. The effectual call of God is Jesus Christ at the tomb of Lazarus, a four-day-old corpse. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And in the power of that call is the obedience for, the ability for something that's dead to obey. And to receive life. You see the difference? There's a general call that's necessary and right. And we're commanded to do this. But our hope is not in our ability to give the general call. The hope is not in our oracle skills. Our hope in prayer is that God through the power of His Spirit would work so powerfully and mightily as we proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ and we know and trust that He will call whom He pleases. That's the hope. That's the hope of missions. So, so who is called? And that's where the word election comes in. And I have a lot of cross-references here. Um, I, I don't think I have time to go through all of them. But, but election, this is a beautiful and inescapable truth throughout the Bible. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to take Brother Todd's, Brother Brian's, or Brother Jacob's, or Brother Blake's, or anybody else's word for it. Diligently seek and study the Word of God for yourself. You have the Holy Spirit if you've trusted Christ. You have the greatest teacher in the Holy Spirit abiding in you. Seek these things out. Be willing to live with some tension. (laughs) Trust the Word. This doctrine of election, as powerful as it is, what it does is it tends to press onto our minds a God-centeredness that will buckle our knees. A God-centeredness that shows that God is, in fact, God. And we aren't. And He's in heaven, as the psalmist says, and does what He pleases. And so the doctrine of election is that God in His grace, in His mystery, before the foundation of the world, Set his love and affection on a people that he chose before they did anything right or did anything wrong. A soul free act of grace. He set his love on them. And it's those that he's chosen that he calls effectively. Why would this matter? Well, there's so many reasons, right? Like, does this matter? Absolutely it matters. But these two things, the calling and election, these truths that they know and that they're established in, these two particular doctrines have a way of awakening lazy minds. They have a way of waking us up. Few doctrines test more clearly whether we have a low view of God or not than these two. And I think that's why Peter reminds this. In these last days, Peter wants them to remember the rock-solid foundation of their salvation. He wants them to have assurance. And friends, we've talked a lot about how the first century would have applied this. But in 2024, we have the same application. This morning is a gracious act from God by way of reminder of your calling and your election. And that we are commanded to confirm that calling and that election. And if these are things we haven't considered or things that maybe we've just intellectually tried to fight for and they haven't made their way to our hearts, the prayer is that they make their way to our hearts and we remember and we have confidence and we have assurance and we trust that the Lord who set out to save us will in fact save us. The Lord who promised to bring us to Himself will bring us safely home. And so in the face of false teaching in their culture in the first century, that their own sinful determinations as well, He reminds them that the God, God in His grace and in His sovereignty had purposed better for them. And that these Christians, in spite of how hard their life was at this time, they were to be ambassadors as partakers, as we saw last night, of His divine nature which He has granted them. Peter wants these believers to remember what they have been chosen for. It's to proclaim the excellencies of God. Chosen to be eternally satisfied in God. Now, now think about these things in light of their culture. and Even in light of our culture, they, they had been chosen to proclaim the excellencies of God. Some of you are younger and some of you have your careers ahead of you and you want to do something that means something, right? Well, you might end up at Walmart as a greeter and have the greatest task that there is on this planet and it's to be an ambassador to the excellencies of God. Right. That, like, We have the single greatest task and purpose that there can be as those chosen by God to proclaim and show His excellencies Chosen by God to be eternally satisfied in God in, in a world and culture that promises us so much as it, as, as it relates to satisfaction. Promises to meet our needs. Promises to meet our desires. Promises to make us happy. But we have been chosen through Jesus Christ and through His abiding Spirit to be eternally satisfied and content in God. Ephesians 2.10 Paul lets us know that there are these good works that He's prepared when? Beforehand. That we should walk in them. And again, a healthy understanding, a biblical understanding of sanctification is that God Himself has given us everything necessary to do and be what He's called us to be. He's even prepared the good works beforehand. And in that, under that umbrella, under that reality, we have a responsibility to make every effort by remembering these precious and very great promises and living accordingly. Verses 12-15. through 15. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Verse 13. I, I think it's right, Peter says, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of of reminder. And, and Peter says, I, I think it's right here. It's definitely right. For you and for me as well. As, as we consider our days, and we should number our days and, and not presume that we are going to have all of these days. Like today, like today, we should think about this reality that we are to stir one another up. We are to stir our own hearts and minds up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. In verse 11 you may have noticed where he says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For those who persevere, there will be a rich reward of acceptance and entrance into this kingdom of Jesus Christ. And in these closing verses of this section, Peter knows his time is short. And he believes the right thing for him to do with the time that he has left is to arouse their memory to these things. Question. If the Lord told you this afternoon that your time is short, what would you devote yourself to? You're probably thinking of Tim McGraw, right? Right? Skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing. <laughs> no, but seriously. Seriously. If we somehow knew that our time was short and we had hours or minutes or days or months or even a year or, or, or years, but if we knew that date, like what would we devote ourselves to? Peter knows the end is coming. And what he's devoted himself to and where he's pouring all of his effort is into these that he loves to stir their minds up by way of reminder who Jesus Christ is and what He's done for them and what He's purposed them to do in this life. He sees that to be the reason that He breathes. He sees that to be the reason that the Lord has woken him up that morning. And so what would you and I do if we knew that our time was short? Peter was committed and had devoted himself to increasing the memory of gospel truth. And what this means for us, even for those in this place, like those that Peter's writing to, who know these truths and are established in these truths, we need repeated reminders of their greatness. And you might go, well, why? Lest we fall asleep. Lest we forget. We must get out of our heads the notion. Now, I want to be clear here. But, but there's, in, in preaching the Bible verse by verse, sometimes you feel like, and people get a little panicky, you, you sort of bump up against things that you might not think is a true doctrine. I might bump up against something right here. But I do think, based on what we see here in Second Peter is we must get out of our heads the notion that our eternal assurance, or at least our acknowledging that, is not automatic. Meaning that if we don't devote ourselves and make every effort to remember, and we don't put ourselves in context like this one, to be stirred up and reminded, then we shouldn't be surprised when we feel so defeated. We shouldn't be surprised that we're confused. We shouldn't be surprised that we're apathetic. We shouldn't be surprised when we're spiritually lazy. Like We shouldn't be surprised by those things because by God's design, He's given us one another to stir one another up by way of reminder of the great truths of the gospel. God is faithful and will preserve His children. And one of the means of grace that God uses in that preservation is are reminders to rouse us from our nearsightedness and indifference. And I, would, I think it's safe to say that's the purpose of this conference. The purpose of this conference is to wake us up. To open our eyes. To remind us whose we are and why we're here and what God has purposed for us. Not only in salvation, but what God has purposed for the days that we have remaining here. And there's certainly application not only as a church, but moms and dads. There's application In our homes, we have children and their spiritual battle is no less than ours. It's greater, more than likely. It's greater and they're vulnerable and they're seeking and they're searching. And so moms and dads and grandparents, we have a responsibility in our homes. In our homes to wake our children up to remind them of the truths that they've been taught or to teach them these truths for the first time so that we can then remind them of the truths that they've been taught. Personally, we must be reminded. As congregations, we must be reminded. And as families, we must be reminded. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You care enough and love us enough to remind us we are prone to wander we are prone to forget i think we feel that and we acknowledge that and so father by your grace please don't let your gospel and these truths get far from our minds keep them on our lips keep them in our ears Keep them before our eyes. Father, I pray that You would, and I know You will, continue to be faithful to us in this way. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.